0: In Chicago, 1982, a series of citizens fell victim to poisoning and death after taking doses of Tylenol-branded acetaminophen capsules. At first, this led to confusion amongst those involved, spreading out further across the city, country, and eventual world as the deaths continued in seemingly unconnected circumstances. It was later found out that the capsules had been laced with potassium cyanide killing a total of seven people at random. It is unclear how and when the tampering occurred, but those events that shook the world with such darkness changed how medication has been packaged to this very day, with new, tamper-proof cases in place. What's most horrifying about these seemingly senseless murders was that the culprit was never caught, and is very likely living amongst us, even now. We ingest so much throughout the course of the day, poisoning ourselves with too much sugar and salt as we indulge in items that we know are bad for our bodies. We smoke cigarettes, take drugs, drink alcohol. All things are poison in some way or another, full of ingredients we do not know or understand. But we do so because we feel comfortable in our surroundings, comforted by the mass production of those that create it. We take them because we believe we are safe. How would you ever know that the item you were putting in your mouth was going to be your last? My name is Luke Mordew, and this urban legend is the Candyman. This urban legend pops up across the Western world, most notably in the US, every October. Believed and concerned about by so many with so much force that it is covered annually on social media and the press. A simple Google search will bring up dozens of clips from news reports up and down the country that discuss the dangers of Halloween treats. As an old Irish holiday, Halloween's traditions have updated and evolved over the years. For one night only, we all attempt to get a good scare... People walk the streets in outfits that are far more monstrous and often far more revealing than what would otherwise be deemed socially acceptable. But none of that is as strange as the concept of taking sweets from strangers. The phrase, never take candy or sweets from a stranger, is prominent in most societies and yet for one night a year, we let our children loose to knock on strangers' doors and request a trick or a treat. We let our guards down. Enjoying the festival of menace and fear that erupts along the streets of every town and city as we enjoy our plunder. It's funny. We ask for tricks or treats, and yet, we never expect the tricks to come. Our story will follow David and his son Leo as they step out into the night of Halloween, unaware of the horrors that lurk amongst the glow of the carved pumpkins in the window. Leo ran excitedly up the long street of his neighbourhood, dressed in his brand new Black Panther outfit, holding his orange bucket with the face of a jack-o'-lantern embossed in the plastic. His father David strolled behind to keep up with his excitable little legs as he ran from house to house. David was proud of his son for having the confidence to go door to door with such ease. Up until this point he'd been too afraid to go trick-or-treating at all, but after witnessing the joy of the nightmare before Christmas the year before, The countdown to Halloween had been full of excitement and anticipation. David didn't even need to go to the front door of his young son, standing at the bottom of the garden while he went and knocked on the door himself, taking the sweets given to him before thanking them with his polite little smile before dashing back to his dad to show off what he'd received. This had been the routine of every house before and would be the routine of every house after. Stop eating all the sweets, David demanded, shaking his head with a knowing smile on his face as Leo shoved a gummy treat into his mouth, explaining that they're so yummy while struggling to get his words out as he chomped away in the substance between his teeth. They agreed that they would stop eating them all until they got home. David explained that he'd only be disappointed when he got back to find that he had none left because he'd eaten them all already. Engrossed in their conversation, as well as the struggle that comes of recognizing others dressed up in various costumes, meant that they didn't even realize that they were being approached by George and Amy, a friend of his from the neighborhood and his daughter. Leo instantly ran ahead to Amy as they discussed their costumes and compared the sweets they had gathered, exchanging those that they preferred from each other to ensure the perfect haul to return home with. Busy night, George asked, starting up a conversation that parents have as their children catch up by their sides. They talked about how lively it's been, how the kids are having fun, even going as far as to express an element of jealousy, annoyed that they never got to experience the joys of Halloween in the UK when they were young. Nothing like this anyway. I remember going out as a mummy, David explained. My mum literally just wrapped toilet roll around me and taped it together. George laughed whilst the kids watched him with confused expressions, struggling to understand why he didn't just go and buy a costume instead of wrapping himself up in toilet paper. A concept that must have seemed so strange to a child in the modern world. Can we please go to the next house together? Leo asked David, whilst Amy jumped up and down in excitement. we are just about to head back now, George replied, looking down at them with a smile. But well, one more house can't hurt. The kids cheered with excitement as Amy grabbed Leo's hand, scurrying off the path together towards a set of houses ahead. Remember to only go to houses of pumpkins in the window, David shouted as they walked behind them to catch up. Amy and Leo stopped outside of a house with a large skeleton hanging by the front door and two emptied pumpkins on the wall, glowing with their spooky faces by the battery-powered candlelight inside. "'Can we go to this one?' Amy asked whilst they both enthusiastically pointed at the overdramatic decorations that glistened in the windows. David nodded his head, giving them the signal to disappear up the driveway into the front door. There they both stood, nodding away to each other while staring at the floor both more eager to get home and relax over standing by the side of the road making small talk. The sound of children laughing and playing around them in the darkness was only drowned out for a moment by the loud calls of an ambulance's sirens blasting down the next street over as Leo and Amy came excitedly running up the pathway towards them. The two men took this opportunity to say their goodbyes, telling each other they'll see them soon. Amy and Leo shared a hug between them and waved at each other's parents before joining with the journey in two opposite directions. ''Have you had fun?'' David asked his son, who was now staring down into his bucket with enthusiasm. ''It was amazing,'' he replied, with a joy that only a child in a holiday celebration could express. But David missed the glisten of excitement shown by his son in his first Halloween. He was too busy focusing on a second ambulance he had heard that night now watching it speed up the road into the distance, his blue lights flashing by as it passed them. He finally turned back to his son to carry on the conversation, but now was distracted again by the fact that Leo had already shoved a couple of new sweets into his mouth. David grabbed the bucket, playfully laughing as Leo gagged the moment he swallowed, complaining about how sour and bitter one had tasted. David turned across the road, putting out his hand for Leo to take so they can both safely cross together. The ghostly screams had echoed from the recordings of people's garden decorations still emitted from the houses nearby. But now something had changed. One of the screams sounded all too real, from a voice all too familiar. David remained stood by the side of the road, his hand still out for Leo to take, his eyes now darting to the top of the pathway in the distance. Leo called for his dad. A slight concern in his voice from behind as David continued to follow the sounds of the screams until his worst fears had been confirmed. Before long, his eyes had locked with George, who now sat on the pathway on the other side of the road in the distance. Little Amy was lying in his arms as several families darted towards them to help. He was screaming her name, as if he had no idea what else he was supposed to do. Dad, Leo said again, the concern growing in his voice. David's eyes remained locked on the pain his friend was experiencing, a pain that at the time he could never comprehend as he kept his hand out for Leo to take. It's okay, take my hand, come with me, he replied, trying to comfort his concerned son, still believing his concern was for what they were witnessing. It was only when he heard the words, My stomach hurts sharply followed by the thud of his body slamming down against the pavement that David turned to find his son lying on the ground, his body convulsing as his eyes rolled to the back of his head. David screamed for his son in a tone that matched George across the street, diving down to lift his head off the concrete, instantly pulling out his phone from his pocket and dialing the emergency services. As it rang, the connection struggling to get through, another scream called from the house across the road. David looked up to see a woman charge out of the front door of her house, an unconscious child in her arms, frothing from the mouth as the woman paced to the car in the driveway. A man charged out of the house behind her, slamming the door shut and unlocking the car so the woman and child could slip into the back. The man jumped into the driver's seat and reversed out quickly onto the road, crushing the jack-o'-lantern that sat at the bottom of their driveway, killing all suggestion of Halloween in that household. And as they drove away whilst David gripped his son's dying body in his arms, the service is still not answering their phone. The screams of horrified parents continued to echo through the town. are many variations of this urban legend, from the razor blade and the apple stories that swept the nation of the US, to the syringes that have been pushed into the sweets, or even the cyanide and rat poison that the Halloween treats had been laced with. My story was a fictional tale that resembled and represented the genuine stories that would travel from mouth to mouth, both metaphorically and literally annually, continuing to do so to this very day. These stories leave parents checking through their children's sweets before giving them back for them to enjoy. Some are stopped from going out trick-or-treating entirely, concluding that it is not worth the risk, but we must ask ourselves whether these accounts ever actually happened. As is the case with most urban legends, the truth is a mixture of both yes and no, lost amongst the grey, hidden between the black and white tales that spread across the globe, there is a slight egg and chicken conundrum of this, with the legend itself predating some occurrences, bringing forward the notion that they were in fact inspired by the story rather than the other way around, which we normally expect to see. The fears of sharp objects hidden inside sweets of our children's treats have haunted the USA for decades, now even venturing out into the UK as the holiday grows here, but despite this, Close to true cases of some iterations of the legends was as recent as the year 2000. This case, although uncomfortable to hear, and a situation that I would never wish to be upon, was relatively small in comparison to what the legends suggest. James Joseph Smith in Minneapolis, USA allegedly stuck small needles into Snickers bars that he later handed out to trick-or-treaters although this is enough to make us squirm and cringe of the idea of the few children that did bite into it. Ultimately, only one teenager was pricked by a needle and that prick was so small that it required no medical attention. Even so, James Joseph Smith was rightly charged with one count of adulterating a substance with intent to cause death, harm or illness. On the exact same night... Halloween of the year 2000, in California, USA, several parents found snicker wrappers that were stuffed full of marijuana. This would of course be horrifying for parents to imagine, someone purposely handing out drugs for children without their knowledge, but once again, the truth was nowhere near as twisted as it first seemed. Once the police arrived at the home of the man who handed out the drug-filled wrappers, he was even more confused than the parents. It was eventually concluded that the man worked at a dead-letter office at a local postal facility. Whilst there, he found a bag of Snickers in an abandoned package and brought them home to give out as treats. What he hadn't realised was that somebody, somewhere, was trying to smuggle marijuana through the mail and it had got lost along the way. This story was widely accepted and no charges were brought forward to the man in question. As recent as 2018, a five-year-old boy in Ohio, USA, was tested positive for methamphetamine after a night of trick-or-treating. It was widely considered that a sweet he had obtained on his travels had been laced with the highly addictive drug, and a sudden uproar swept the nation. It only took a couple of days for the truth to come out when the police arrested his father, charging him with possession of meth and tampering with evidence, with police chief Brian Satterfield stating... While we cannot definitely say how the little boy ingested methamphetamine, we are extremely confident that he did not ingest any candy from Trick or Treat that was tainted. A consistent theme has played out in the history of the true cases of the urban legend. Those that edge so close to the dark stories we hear through the grapevine that happened to a little boy in the next town over. But they never quite proved themselves to fit. This is not to be mistaken for disappointment, The idea that somebody is trying to murder children in today's world by tricking them into ingesting poison through the enticement of holiday spirits is horrifying. But if we go back to the latter half of the 20th century, will what we find be as simple? Or is the dark tale based on more truth than our current stories suggest? Let us go back to Halloween night of 1959. The children were strolling up the streets of Glenmore Gardens residential neighbourhood in California dressed up in their spookiest outfits as they wander from door to door in the hopes of finding some sugar-filled treats they could take home and demolish. It was only when they got home that things got strange. Some of the kids' parents found cause for alarm when they discovered heart-shaped sugar-coated pills at the bottom of the children's bag. This resulted in the police checking 250 homes and eventually recovering 450 laxatives. The average dosage for an adult is two, and yet some of the children had as many as 30 placed into their bag. At least 16 children received pills, with four suffering stomach cramps and vomiting. It was lucky for all of them that the bitter taste that resided inside the aloe pills was so much that they ended up spitting them right out, resulting in none requiring hospitalisation. Dr. William Shine had been charged with outraging the public decency and endangering the health of children, whilst the woman who stood alongside him, giving out the candy to unsuspected children, Hazel Engleby, was charged the same. Eventually, though, after months of denial, twists and turns in the court cases and legal loopholes, Miss Engleby was set free with no charges. Dr. Shine was given a four-month suspended jail sentence, two-year probation and a fine of $525. There are many reasons these two foolish individuals could have played such a dangerous game. It was either with the malice and ill intent that many had suggested was the case, or a prank that they truly believed would be funny. Perhaps they disliked Halloween and wanted to teach those who celebrated it a lesson. There are, after all, a lot of people who hate the holiday completely misunderstanding the beauty and true meanings behind its purpose. Either way, this story came close to a true example of this urban legend, but, as they usually do, it fell short of the tales of the Candyman we hear. Five years later to the very day, something equally as dark and stupid occurred on the night where the wall between the spirit world and our world is apparently at its thinnest. Elise Drucker, her sister Irene and a friend were out in New York, USA to gather the sweets they could during their trick-or-treating session of the year. They were teenagers by this point, but they were still enjoying the spooky events and excitement that came from Halloween night and it didn't bother them. That was until they knocked on the door of Helen File, who answered and questioned their age, suggesting they were a little bit too old to be trick-or-treating. Helen, who had teenagers of her own, dropped some sweets into their bags and set them on their way. It wasn't until they got home that a sinister truth revealed itself as Elise and Irene's mother checked over the sweets they had gathered. Here, they found a bottle cap shaped ant trap with a warning sign that read, Poison. According to sources, Helen was growing frustrated that so many of the trick-or-treaters that had gone by were what she deemed to be too old to be out asking for free sweets, and so she made up packages of inedible treats to give to the teenagers. These packages contained dog biscuits, steel wall pads, and the ant buttons that were clearly marked as poison. Although foolish and twisted in its macabre humour, it is said that Helen did tell the teenagers as she handed them out that they were intended as jokes, and luckily, nobody was harmed by her idiotic prank. Even still, she pleaded guilty to endangering children and served a suspended sentence. With the events of two pranks that were arguably more ill-judged and idiotic than evil, the fears and rumours of tampered Halloween sweets have begun to sweep the nation. In 1971, state legislator of Michigan put in 10-year prison sentences and fines for those who were caught tampering with Halloween treats, most likely due to the commonly told urban legend inspired by those events, despite most reports proving occurrences to be hoaxes. Even the cases that have been found to be true in their telling were done so as foolish pranks between friends and siblings. Tricks where the repercussions and dangers were ill-thought-out and foolish rather than filled with devilish intent. That was, until Halloween night 1974, where the real Candyman came to life. i think i hacked in we're on the air Shh, security's outside but how's my hair it's a radio, radio station psst, psst. you guys hear about the beyond the shadows podcast with ryan and scott you guys into paranormal what about true crime how about ufos and cryptids we also have mad hauntings we got security no we don't we're not big enough to need it yet no we got security hey what are you guys doing get out of here Listen to the Beyond the Shadows podcast. Beyond the Shadows! The responses and reviews for Urban Legends have been a wonderful surprise for us here, and we're over the moon that our listeners are enjoying our content. Although it hasn't gone unnoticed that many of you have commented that you wish there was more content from us. This is why we've begun a Patreon with two tiers. For £4 a month, you can join us as a Mythologist, where you can catch all episodes of Urban Legends without any of these ad breaks, allowing you to focus on the story at hand, as well as exclusive hidden episodes released the Monday after each legend, delving into similar legends not covered in the main series. For £8 a month, you can join us as an Anthropologist, where you can catch all that I previously mentioned, as well as the ability to put your version of the legend forward to be read in the main series, Invitations to live Q and A's with me, working in progress updates, priority voting on what legends we'll cover in the seasons to come, and even the chance to feature on one of our footnotes. The more our Patreon grows, the more content we can create, and the shorter our breaks between seasons become. So, we hope you'll join us soon. And now, back to the podcast. It was October 31st and 8-year-old Timothy O'Brien was out trick-or-treating with his sister Elizabeth, chaperoned by their father Ronald in Texas, USA. Even though it was raining, they were making good progress through the night as they excitedly ran from door to door, Ronald struggling to keep up with their fast little feet. They stopped at a house that did not seem to participate in the festivities of Halloween, but they waited nevertheless. But after a moment or two... The children swiftly gave up, heading off to the next house to get their treats. Once their father had caught up with them, he handed them both two pixie sticks out of five he held in his hand. If they had waited a moment longer, they would have been able to get the sticks themselves, as they had only just missed the owner of the previous house. The kids took them with joy, whilst Ronald gave one each to two neighbouring children, and the fifth to a child he recognised from his church. Before bed, As children often do after the excitement of Halloween, knowing the grand hall of a night's hard work is sitting so close out of their reach, little Timothy asked if he could eat some of the sweets that he'd collected. Ronald agreed and Timothy dove straight for the pixie sticks, but struggled to get the sherbet out of the straw. His dad obliged to help his son loosen the powder as he began to chug it back in childish glee. Although Timothy did mention that the sherbet tasted bitter, he finished it all down with the help of some Kool Aid, also supplied by his ever doting father. Within minutes, Timothy was in agony as his body began to convulse whilst vomiting violently. And within an hour, on the way to the hospital, eight year old Timothy O'Brien was dead. News spread fast of the Halloween sweets laced with poison, spreading fear and horror amongst the community of Deer Park with several parents handing their sweets into police in fear that they too had been tampered with. The autopsy of Timothy O'Brien revealed that he was filled with a fatal dose of potassium cyanide, and Robert confirmed that this must have been in the pixie sticks he'd received from the mysterious homeowner on Halloween night. The rest of the sticks that had been handed out to the children on the street were successfully retrieved without any more injury to the innocents. It became clear that all five of the pixie sticks had been tampered with, opened at the top and refilled with cyanide before being resealed with a simple staple. The results from the lab confirmed that little Timothy's powder contained enough cyanide to kill two fully grown adults, while the other four contained dosages that could easily kill three to four. Ronald desperately tried to help the police find the killer of his darling son, but claimed to have forgotten which house it was that had handed them to him. He told them that he did see the homeowner's face, that they only opened the door a crack and that a hairy arm reached out and handed him the pixie sticks. After walking with the police several times, Ronald finally confirmed the house that they had visited that night. This was the home of a man named Courtney Melvin, an air traffic controller who was not home until much later that night, as was confirmed by the hundreds of people who had seen him at the airport. This admittedly already strange situation was growing stranger to the police as they began to throw their suspicious eyes at Ronald himself. It was strange that he would have forgotten what house it was, especially considering they had only visited two streets that night due to the rain. Now that they had decided to look further into Ronald's life, they were surprised by a great many things. They learnt that he was over $100,000 in debt equivalent to over $500,000 today. He was a man that struggled to hold down a job, going through as many as 21 in the 10 years leading up to that moment. Even then, he'd been suspected of theft at his job at Texas State Optical and was expected to be fired shortly. His car was close to being repossessed, he had the family home foreclosed on and he had multiple bank loans falling on default. Times were tough to say the least. But then came the most damning part of the investigation so far. Ronald had taken out life insurance policies on both of his children in the months building up to Halloween nights, specifically taking out $30,000 no more than five days prior, so that the policies totaled well over $60,000 without his wife's knowledge. It was also found that Ronald had even gone as far as to call his insurance company to inquire about the process of collecting the policies he had taken out on his children on the morning of Halloween. As damning as this all was, it only got worse for Ronald O'Brien when the police learned that he had in fact visited a chemical supply store to buy cyanide not long before the events occurred. Once confronted, Donald remained persistent on his innocence. Even so, The police had already begun to piece together the evidence that he laced the sweets with poison in an effort to kill his children and claim on their life insurance policies. The consensus was that he gave the pixie sticks to the other children close by in an effort to cover up his crime, to make it seem far more random than it was. He was convicted of the crime with overwhelming evidence, including a chemist testifying that he had been called by Ronald regarding cyanide, specifically fatal doses. Ronald was sentenced to death. Perhaps Halloween was just too perfect of an opportunity to pass up. I imagine to him, it was a perfect crime and who knows? Maybe if he was smarter, he might have got away with it. This was a time before Halloween had hit the shores of Britain transferring over to America with the Irish that headed over generations ago and had been so happily celebrated for so long. After the death of little Timothy, Halloween was never the same again. Even though people knew what had truly happened, the seed had been planted and now the anxiety was in their hearts whenever their children would come home with sweets from all of the dark corners of the neighborhood. Over this time the story became a part of history Drifting away into the back of people's minds, but the anxiety stayed. This led to changes in the story, to additions and takeaways from the events that occurred. And before long, it had become nothing more than an urban legend about drugs in your children's suites or needles and syringes. It took 10 years before Ronald was finally executed by lethal injection. When Timothy would have still been only 18 years old, the father that the inmates had nicknamed the Candyman was dead. And whilst this was happening, the crowds gathered outside chanted the words, Trick or Treat. Urban Legends is written and produced by Luke Mordew, researched by Sean Davis, in association with Mordew Pictures. Original score by Billy Jupp, with additional sounds from audioblocks.com. If you like what you've heard and want to hear more, make sure to click subscribe. You can find out more about Urban Legends, including a complete written breakdown of this episode, with images, news reports, and citations listed on anything that's been said at lrmordew.com podcast. Follow us on Twitter at ulpodcast on Instagram at urbanlegends.podcast or on Facebook by simply searching Urban Legends Podcast.